Why Mary? Why did God choose Mary to bear his son Jesus? You know, the first couple chapters of the Gospel of Luke tell the story of two births. Angel Gabriel goes to two parents and announces what God's going to do. And the parents of the two boys, they couldn't be any more different. Angel Gabriel um, went to Jesus' mother Mary and told this young peasant girl who was um, engaged to be married but hadn't yet gone through the marital ceremony what God was going to do through her. But he also went to a very old priest named Zechariah, um, and he told Zechariah he and his wife, barren wife Elizabeth, were going to have a son as well. And we're going to talk more about Zechariah next week, but I, I do want to sit and think about the difference between Mary and Zechariah for a few minutes. Because Zechariah was everything that Mary was not. He was an old man, he was a priest, but he wasn't just any priest, especially that year that Jesus was born. Luke tells us Gabriel visited Zechariah when he was serving as priest in the temple um, in what was called the Holy of Holies. I'll tell you, we usually breeze over this when we're reading the Christmas stories, but it's really significant because once a year, only one time a year, one priest was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies, and Zechariah was that one priest for that year. And Gabriel chose that moment to announce the births to Zechariah. I don't think we get how huge that would have been. I mean, for a priest to, to enter into the Holy of Holies, most would live their lives just dreaming to be chosen for this amazing task, It's honor. One of my professors back in school told me about his, his roommate, his Jewish roommate, and they were great friends, and he told me that one day his roommate was really sad and just not normal behavior at all. And, and finally, my teacher just asked him, what's wrong? And his roommate told him, well, that was the day that his family were supposed to serve as priests in the temple, if the temple was still standing. And he could have been chosen for the honor on that day to enter into the Holy Holies if the temple were still standing. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. I don't think we can really fathom what that meant. My old professor's roommate, his, his family, they came from this long line of priests and they had handed down the calendar generation after generation after generation, the calendar of temple service. And they still remembered the day their family would serve at the temple, even though it had been destroyed a couple thousand years before. That's what this was going on the day that the angel Gabriel appeared, visited Zechariah in the Holy of Holies to announce what God was doing. 
You couldn't get anybody more different than Mary if you tried. I mean, Zechariah was on the top rung of the ladder of their society, and Mary was on the bottom. I mean, she was everything that Zechariah was not. An unwed, poor peasant girl. I mean, no voice, no standing. In their world, she really didn't matter. I mean, no one would have noticed her. No one would have listened to her. She was about as humble as you could get. I mean, she was on the bottom of the, the ladder. And Zechariah was the top rung. So who do you think would be the ideal parent for the Messiah? I mean, if we didn't know the story, it's a no-brainer to be Zechariah. The last person you would ever think of would be Mary. Uh, that's why these stories are side by side. And God's scale and our scale, they, they take very different measurements. I mean, for all his pedigree, uh, you know, when Gabriel tells Zechariah what God's going to do and the upcoming birth of his son and how he was part of the salvation plan, Zechariah didn't believe it. Even though he was in the Holy of Holies at that time, and this was the culminating moment of his life, and it was what he had dreamed about doing. I mean, basically, he was visiting the place that the Jews thought God lived. If there was one time in his life that Zechariah would expect to hear from God, this was it. This was the moment in, in the belly of the temple, in the Holy of Holies. But he didn't believe Gabriel. And contrast that with Mary. She believed. She was going to do whatever God wanted her to do. I mean, think about an unwed 14-year-old, who knows, a young peasant girl showing up pregnant versus Zechariah's wife. I mean, you know, what's the difference in how people would hear the news of a birth? Priest's wife shows up pregnant, they throw a party. Mary, unwed peasant girl, shows up pregnant, says, this is God's doing. I haven't been with a man. What do you think people are going to do with that? I mean, ratchet that like 20,000 times, and you get what they would have done back then. I mean, she really could have been killed. Who'd believe her when she said she was called to be the mother of the Messiah? If they don't believe anybody, it'd be the priest who's just coming out of this encounter with God in the Holy of Holies. Zechariah is who you would think that God would choose. But when God announced his plans through Gabriel, even Zechariah wouldn't believe it. But this humble, powerless, young teenage Virgin Mary, her response was, here I am, the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was chosen, chosen to be the one who would bear the Son of God. I mean, if you think about this, no one's ever been closer to God than Mary. No one had ever been more connected and more central to God's plan than Mary. Why Mary? Well, Gabriel doesn't really say, but, but Mary does. When she hears Gabriel's announcement, she sings a song. It's called the Magnificat in um, Luke 1, 46 to 56. And she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. See, the reason Mary was chosen was because she was not at all like Zechariah. Mary was about as far from Zechariah as you could get. It's not that God doesn't love Zechariah, and thank goodness, because we're more like Zechariah, obviously. But God chose the old priest and his wife for a very special task, and we'll talk about that next week. But Mary tells us she was chosen because she was everything Zechariah wasn't. She was lowly, she was powerless, she was humble. That's all she had. That was her qualifications. She had nothing to offer but her heart. And she offered it completely. Here I am, the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, throughout the Bible, God chooses the humble, the poor, the powerless, the least likely. I have a feeling those are things that Jesus learned from Mary as he grew. How God turns the scales upside down. I mean, Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus said all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says, whoever wants to be great must be a servant. I think he learned those things from Mary. Most likely as she told him over and over and over the stories of his birth. I mean, everything about Christmas stories, it's all about reversal of the things that we value as humans, right? I mean, reversing our understanding of power Peasant girl chose to bear the king. No room in the inn, so the king is born in a humble stable surrounded by stock animals. The ones who were invited that night to witness the birth of the king, they were, they were the night shift shepherds. <laughs> they were so far down on the rung of the low social ladder, you know, they, you couldn't get any further than the, the graveyard shepherds. The whole thing's story, humility. To me, some of the most beautiful words in the New Testament are from Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And it's kind of where Paul explains the meaning behind the Christmas stories. Let me, the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father Almighty. I mean, Paul says here, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Same mind be in you as God when he humbled himself. 
when he became human, he humbled himself to the point of death for us. You know, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to follow him. That means you go where he goes and you do what he does. At the heart, all of these stories of the birth of Jesus are stories of humility. And sometimes I think we're so familiar with these stories that we miss the shock of the humility of God. I mean, how do you expect God to enter the world? I mean, in a blaze of glory, right? And at this huge, massive scale. You would expect hurricanes and earthquakes and huge masses of angels all around. At the very least, we would expect a vision maybe given to a priest as he's visiting God in the Holy of Holies. But no. God came in the form of a defenseless human infant. Nothing's more dependent on its survival than a human baby. Everything about Jesus' birth was about humility. It was about grace. You know, one of the things Gabriel says to Mary is, Greetings, Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. What's grace? We talk about grace a lot, and I think we kind of take it for granted. What does grace really mean? Really, in the New Testament, it kind of changes depending on circumstances. It's like 170 times the word grace appears as charis in Greek. But grace has to do with God's love for us and God's kindness and God's blessings and God's gifts and salvation and forgiveness and all that and, and way more. But, but the thing that makes all of that grace is that they are completely undeserved. But they're still offered. I mean, grace, it, it, it's something we can't earn. It's a gift. And when you really get this, this, this amazing grace of God, it, it changes your life. Because that's what happened to Mary. Mary is a story of humility and grace. Everything in the Christmas stories is about humility. And everything in the Christmas stories is about grace. They're so deeply connected. But the real power of grace is when it intersects with humility. Like Mary and Jesus' relationship. I mean, think about it. Jesus, whose very name means God saves. Jesus was the product of grace and humility. I mean, grace was literally born from humility. That's really important to get. I mean, you can only understand God's gifts like forgiveness and love and compassion as grace when you realize you don't deserve them. And that takes humility. I mean, being humble enough to realize you don't deserve grace. And you can't experience grace from a posture of pride. 
And if you take that even further, when, when you accept grace, when you really accept grace, when you really deeply internalize this gift, then you start to give grace away, like Jesus did. Jesus' whole life was about God's grace. It was the beginning of the story all the way to the cross. I mean, Jesus continually in the Gospels, he offers grace to those who don't deserve it. The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Those are the people that Jesus intentionally sought out. He spent time with them. He offered them love. He offered them acceptance, mercy, kindness, and grace. And because those things weren't deserved, that's what made them grace, right? Because this is how God works. He offers these things to you and I as well. But the deal is, if you receive it, if you really receive it, then you start sharing grace with others. That's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. You go where your leader goes. You do what your leader does. If Jesus is your leader, if you were his follower, you emulate him. You share grace with others. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're following the one who was born to offer grace to the world. Remember what makes things like forgiveness and compassion and love and blessings, what, what makes them grace? You can forgive someone who deserves forgiveness. I mean, maybe, maybe someone apologized to you and they've asked you for forgiveness and, and that's deserved forgiveness and that's great, but that's not an offer of grace. What makes forgiveness an act of grace is when it's not deserved, but it's still imparted. That's when you step into Jesus' territory. Because that's what he offers us. You see, when you offer grace, you're going where Jesus goes and you're doing what Jesus does. I mean, you can show people that you love, uh, you can show them love. Those who might deserve your love, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you can show kindness to people who deserve kindness, and, and that's, that's wonderful. And you can bless someone who really deserves to be blessed. And, and these are things we should all do. But when you do those things for people who don't deserve forgiveness and, and love and acceptance, I, that's, that's grace. And there's a huge difference. Who does God want you to offer grace to this Christmas. I mean, 2020 Christmas. Think of someone who doesn't deserve anything from you. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they failed you. Maybe they really disappointed you. What if you were to just send them a Christmas card? They don't deserve it. But what do you call it when someone gets something they don't deserve? It's grace.
The thing is, this is, this is where we really experience the power of grace because this is where we really follow where Jesus goes and we do what Jesus does. And, and I think then hope and love and joy and grace are born once more. Don't you think our world really needs that this Christmas? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you. Thank you for that night in which hope and joy and love and forgiveness and grace were born. And I thank you for this amazing offer you give us to birth grace through our actions. Help us to experience a real birth this Christmas. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.